Hi and welcome back to the Beyond the Peloton podcast. This is your host, Spencer Martin. UAE Tour Stage 3 just wrapped up. Tour de Var wrapped up this past weekend. Uh, and we're, we have opening of the classic season coming up uh, this coming weekend. So we got a lot of exciting stuff to talk about. Also, I have a listener question about Ineos, a possible return of the Ineos super team that I'll be diving into. But first, if you want to support the podcast, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash btppod, or there is also a companion newsletter. Uh, there's a free weekly edition, uh, paid daily during Grand Tours, uh, three editions a week, not during Grand Tours. That's available at beyondthepeloton.substack.com. If you like the podcast, you'll love that newsletter. Uh, Highly recommend signing up for at least a free one. So check that out at beyondthepeloton.substack.com. But let's get into the racing. So I'm just going to start in reverse chronological order because I just watched UAE Tour Stage 3. So I'm going to talk about that because it's fresh in my mind. It kind of an underrated, I mean, everyone, I'm sure you, everyone, it's United Arab Emirates in the Middle East. You would think that's just flat, boring sand. Uh, and some of the, a lot of the races, I think a lot of the reason for that misconception is, uh, if you remember the Qatar Tour of Qatar, Qatar Tour, something like that, uh, back in the day. Qatar is a slightly different country, or a different country, obviously. Slightly different landscape. I think it is just flat, flat and sandy. Um, so there's like no, there's no mountains there. And the Dubai tour back in the day was was also just flat. But actually, the UAE has some mountains on the border with Oman. Pretty interesting mountains. And if you remember the now defunct Oman tour, that, that there's actually some beautiful mountains in that country. Uh, it actually looks like it would be nice to ride there at some point. But so the UAE tour does, you know, it has some of these flat, sandy, you know, just you're out in the desert. There's nothing out there. But the racing on the flat days is actually pretty interesting because of all the crosswinds and because of the compressed schedule this year. Guys are like, you know, dying to race. So they need these race days in their legs, especially the bigger the bigger stars. It's a little bit different than normal where there would be so many races that you don't normally, you know, you can kind of loaf around. You know, a lot of these races would just be people partying. You know, you stay at like, a, they put you up in a really nice hotel like the Four Seasons Abu Dhabi and you just get hammered. I think that actually, I think Dakota Quickstep didn't get invited or they were threatened not to be invited back because they were just getting hammered every night and trash in their hotel room. But uh, you can tell, you can tell that would be the theme of the early season racing so far is if I had to distill it down to one thing, guys are really serious because there's fewer races. So you have to take the ones available more seriously because if you want to be ready for your bigger, uh, you know, bigger objectives, more important races and, you know, in a week, I guess, for some guys, or a month, when do we get into the real one-day classics? Um, you've got you've to get the race days in now to be sharp for that. And we are totally seeing that. On stage one, I mean, it was nuts. Uh, like the, the race, the UA Tour broke up six, six kilometers in. It was like echelons all over the road. Uh-huh. There was like 15, a group of maybe 17, actually, at the end of that first stage. And if you weren't a GC guy in that group, you were done. I mean, they're minutes off the back. Like Chris Froome was like over five minutes back. Same with Vincenzo Nibali, uh, Tade Pogacar, actually great sign. If you're, if you're a Tade Pogacar fan, this has been your best week since the end of the Tour de France because he looked incredible on that first stage. He, you know, we all remember he got cut out in the crosswinds on stage seven of the Tour de France last year, but he was present and accounted for at the front of that race. Um, Matthew Vanderpool won the sprint. Super impressive. 
uh, time trial on stage two, the pancake flat. This is actually should be Pogachar's worst discipline because it's just a pure power time trial. Like his lightness does not help him at all here. Whereas in the mountains, being light helps a lot. But uh, Felipe Gana won, no surprise, absolutely no surprise. I mean, the guy's incredible. Maybe, I think this is slightly controversial, but he might be the best time trialist of all time. And I, I'm pretty sure like Chris Boardman maybe had some faster, actually rode time trials faster, but you got to remember Chris Boardman, that was back in the unregulated bike days. So he had a, just a mechanical advantage that Ghana's never going to have. And Miguel Indurain, I mean, I, I've like dived into the, some of the numbers. I mean, I think Miguel Indurain's functional threshold power was like 505, 510 watts for an hour. And Ghana looks to be about there. And if anything, you could say Ghana's better. Like uh, he can like contort himself into a better position than Miguel Indurain could. Uh, obviously, Miguel Indurain won five Tour de France's, so and like multiple Giro d'Italia's and did the Giro Tour double. So I'm not saying Felipe Ghana is like a better overall cyclist, but just in the time trials, he might he might be better than Miguel Indurain, or at least equal to. So if he can just become a mediocre climber, he could be a contender at some of these uh, Grand Tours, like the Tour that, especially this year, the, the course isn't that hard. I mean, obviously, like that's all relative, but I think it's actually going to be kind of a dull uh, course as far as mountains go, and mainly uh, one in the time trials, but I, I'm digressing. So Ghana won that TT, um, which is kind of, you know, kind of a boring result. Like we all knew that was going to happen. But if we look at the second place, it's Stefan Bissinger. I wonder if he's related to Bud Buzz Bissinger, author of Friday Night Lights. Um, Stefan Bissinger from Switzerland. Really a surprise result there. I mean, I guess he was second at the U23 World Championships two or three years ago. But I mean, I'm honestly not thinking about every podium finisher at U23 Worlds all the time. So it really came out of nowhere for me. He was only 14 seconds back. Uh, behind Ghana, and which is that's a lot of time for a 13 kilometer time trial. But if we look at uh, Mikel Berg, who was third, he's a further seven seven seconds behind behind Bissinger. So and Mikel Berg's really good. And then, but Tade Pogacar was 24 seconds behind Ghana. So really good result for him. Really good result. I mean, those those three guys on the podium are all time trial specialist. And then you have, he beat Luis Leon Sanchez, who's in fifth. Joao Almeida, we all remember him from the Giro d'Italia. Very, I mean, he's a time trial specialist. So yeah, that's a huge result. And there's, you know, maybe, I don't know, I guess in theory, he could have had some, some different wind than when those guys went. Um, I'm just trying to think of any possible thing that would have given him an advantage. And the race is small enough that maybe that wouldn't have gotten covered a ton, but uh, we've been talking about this in the Beyond the Peloton subscribers only chat that uh, it looks like he's just a world-class time trialist now. And if we remember back to that Tour de France uh, stage 20 TT, he won the race, won the Tour de France in it. So obviously he had a great ride, but if you actually break it down before they got to the, the, the final climb, he beat almost everyone. I think he... He had the second fastest time in the flat, and by, he lost lost by like a second. So uh, he's a world class time trialist. I mean, it kind of seems silly to even refute it now. And with the Tour de France this year having fifty eight kilometers of TTs, 
uh, you got to feel pretty good about him repeating. And and most key is we'll get into when we talk about today's stage three, which was a summit finish. He looks good. There's no sophomore hangover here, which plagues a lot of uh, tour winners. I mean, I actually I don't know the last time I've seen a tour to a defending Tour de France champion, like a guy who won his first tour, come out this hot after the off season. And you know, part of that reason might be he just hasn't been able to party. I mean, guys just they just go crazy the first winner after winning a Tour de France. I mean, Garrett Thomas kind of just openly admitted that he was like drunk for months and didn't really ride his bike, and he just had a he had a tough, tough time in that twenty. Um, I think that was a twenty nineteen season, and he really wasn't in shape until like the third week of the Tour de France. And by then, it was too late. He had lost too much time, and he couldn't mount a comeback to defend his title. But Pogachar looks good. I mean, so stage three today, um, and Ineos, despite all their uh, their talk about. We're we're, the, we're a new team. We're we're doing exciting tactics. I mean, Dave Brailsford was waxing poetic about. I want to create a team who I would be a fan of as a child, as a young child watching. And it's like, wait, like wait a second. You've just spent eight years doing the exact opposite. And like, if you really believed in this, why why now? Like, why not in 2011? Um, so that I mean, your spidey sense should be going up when you're hearing. <laughs> that he's doing this for the kids. It's all about the kids, that they're changing their ways and they're not going to be a boring team that grinds down opponents into, into dust using the mortal and pestle of, uh, of the legs of, of highly paid domestiques. Uh, but yeah, you sh- so- something's amiss, amiss there. Uh, we'll talk about that in a second when we get to the listener question. But on the sur- I mean, they haven't really changed anything. I'll talk about, I mean, at the Tour de... Uh, Tour of Provence, where Ivan Soso from Ineos won, and the mountain stage of Mont Ventoux, they just rode exactly how they've always ridden in the past. They just put strong guys in the front and ramp the pace so high no one can attack, grind everyone down, and then their rider, who's the strongest, attacks and gets a gap. I mean, that's exactly how Chris Froome won, like his first three Tour de France's, and that's how Ivan Soso won Tour de Provence, and that's how they rode the summit finish at a UA tour today. I mean, that's, it was textbook sky where, I mean, that's guy's the old name, but textbook Ineos where they just had a whole team leading out Adam Yates. Adam Yates attacked with, check my race notes. I mean, Adam, yeah, Yates attacked with 4.2 K remaining. I mean, it's, this is like textbook early Chris Froome and he, uh, he could drop Sepkus was with him at that point. It was Sepkus and Tade Bogachar. I uh, dropped Kuz, but Pokachar was right on his wheel. And it was actually a pretty, pretty impressive display by Tade Pokachar because he didn't, you know, he didn't overreact. He didn't panic. And he didn't, he, the key thing is he didn't do anything. He knows he, because he performed so well in the time trial, he had a, let's look at the GC results. Yeah, he had a 39 second lead going into the stage. So it's pretty simple there. You just have to sit on Adam Yates' wheel and try to out-sprint him for the win, and you get the time bonus. And that's exactly what he did. And I'll, I'll drop a screenshot of this in the next newsletter, but he was even it was super impressive because with uh, like 1K to go, he was letting a gap go between him and Yates. And this is like real, real racecraft stuff. You don't ever, I mean, maybe, I mean, like Valverde, but you don't really see this from like a Tour de France contender. Maybe like a Lance Armstrong would do this. But he intentionally let a gap go 
and then he could sprint into the distance between the gap between him and Adam Yates in front of him. And it means that when he's coming by him, he's traveling like twice as fast as Yates. So Yates can't respond at that point. It's too late by the time he sees him. I was super impressed by that. I mean, it was a really savvy move. And, you know, right after that, they entered some super tight chicanes and Yates, the race was over. Yates couldn't get around him and Pogachar wins the stage. Uh, if you don't like Tade Pogachar, this, this could be a long year. I mean, he looks really fit. He looks fit. He looks smart. It looks like he's getting better. I mean, he, I guess, no, I mean, he didn't win this race last year. He got second at the UA Tour 2020. So he's like better than he was last year. He got second to Adam Yates, actually. Um, I mean, you could make the argument that he's peaking too soon, but we, you know, it's not even really worth making that. We'll, we'll, we'll know later if he peaked too soon or not. Maybe this is him building up. We just don't know. But yeah, I, I was just impressed by the whole thing. Uh, there's one more summit finish on Thursday. Uh, he could lose it. I mean, he's, he mentioned this today in, a, in an interview, and as we saw on stage one, he could lose it on these flat stages. It's such a hard race. It's so unpredictable, and especially with, I mean, Dakota Quickstep is there to like smash, 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 because they just want to get fit for the spring classics, and they're, they're probably drilling their, their crosswind you know, teamwork down. So they're just going to, I would guess Dakota Quickstep's just going to be splitting the race up every day, um, using this as kind of a crosswind training camp. Uh, so yeah, he could get caught out and he could lose the race. Uh, but other than that, I, Adam Yates is not going to drop him on that Thursday summit finish. There was nothing. Yates had it. Yates looked better than I've seen him in years. It was actually a super impressive performance by Yates. That's kind of interesting that he leaves uh, Mitchelton Scott. Now Bike Exchange goes to Ineos, and he looks great. He looks refurbished. And his brother, what's interesting is his identical twin brother, still on uh, Mitchelton Scott. Scott. It will be interesting to see how, if they have a a performance divergence. In the past, Simon's been slightly the better rider. But if Adam is significantly better than Simon this year, it's like this rare example where we get to see, like, well, is Ineos really full of, you know, full of it? Do they just talk to themselves up or do they have like a, you know, is there really something to their performance system that they talk about nonstop? If they can turn Adam Yates into like a supercharged version of his twin, that's a pretty strong testimonial to, to their ability to, to train and shape riders. Tour de Var, it's like a small race. What's been interesting about this year is these small uh, races in the south of France that were once, you know, the centerpieces of the early season schedule have been diluted with globalization kind of got their time in the sun again because Tour de Var was, was fantastic too. The stages are a little shorter at these early season races, so maybe that explains the explosiveness, but um, it was great, great racing. Mike Woods took the lead on stage two, three-stage race, uh, but kind of one note I have here is they, he's on the Israel Startup Nation team who, you know, they're famously of Chris Froome, who's looked awful, by the way. Um, Maybe I'll talk about that more a little bit later. I don't even really know how much there's to say. He's at UA Tour off the back every day. And he is supposed to be the centerpiece of the Israel Startup Nation team. If they are really banking on him for the results this year, it could be a long year. But they kind of have sold themselves as like that they've put together a squad this offseason that will carry Chris Froome to his fifth Tour de France title. 
Um, that's been the narrative. And the third stage of the Tour de Far was, I would say, showed some holes in that strategy because Mike Woods uh, on that team went into the final stage holding the lead. And before they even turned on the TV broadcast, Gianluca Brambilia from Trek, who was teammates with Baco Malama, who was in second place by only a single second, and uh, Brambilia was 13 seconds off the lead, so he's right there, got away in a breakaway and had like a huge gap. So right there, I mean, something went wrong. I, I will probably never see it. I have no idea what happened, but that's crazy to let a breakaway with a guy that close to winning the overall away when you're the defending team. I mean, that shows that something's not right there. They, you know, they either don't have like, the pure power to control the race or there's some tactical, you know, possibly, it's possible to do both. They're just not physically strong enough and they also aren't tactically well-drilled enough. And this is actually probably going to be frustrating for Froome. I mean, let's just say Froome can, let's say Froome can turn this around and get back in shape. This will be like uh, hurdle number two where he's going to be, he's been on best drilled team in the world for his whole career. So this could be kind of an eye opener for him to be on uh, an up and coming team that does not have the pedigree and organization that Enios, uh, formerly Sky, has. And then one more note I have just about all these races, Tour de, Tour de, Tour de Provence, Tour, I think it's Tour de la Provence, Tour du Var, UA Tour is... What we saw last year is in terms of kind of the changing of the guard appears not, I don't think that's an outlier. I think that's the new normal. And specifically, if we just look at the results from today's summit finish at the UAE Tour, you know, we have Tadej Pogacar. I mean, Adam Yates is like 26. He's like old man Yates at this point. He's like one of the oldest guys still performing well, 28 years old. So Tadej Pogacar, Adam Yates, Sergio Higuita, Emmanuel Book. So that's uh, Yates and Pogacar around the same time. Higuita's 48 seconds back. He's in a group with uh, Emmanuel Bookman, Harm Van Vuk, Harm Van Hook, who is, I believe, a young Belgian rider on Lotto. Yeah, very young, 23 years old. Joao Almeida, very young Portuguese rider. Florian Stork, I imagine that's a young German rider. Yeah, 23 years old. Nielsen Palace, young American. Chris Harper, young Australian. Jeffrey Bouchard, Sepkus, uh, so that's the top 11. And then, Vinci, so let's just look. So those are all very young riders stacking the top 11. I think the oldest one in that top 11 is Adam Yates at 28, which isn't very old. Uh, Vincenzo Nibali, big name, right? Probably, he's probably trying to win the Giro d'Italia, which, side note, Giro d'Italia, uh, all like, uh, Dave Brailsford's like, we're sending Egan Bernal the Giro to win because we think it's good for him. They haven't even released their, their freaking uh, schedule yet. Like, no one knows what the race is. So, yeah, I think people are, like, getting a little ahead of themselves there. But uh, Nibali is a minute and a half back. You know, let's look further down. Uh, Louis Menchies, who used to be a young rider, is almost 30 now. Yeah, he's a minute and a half back, too. Woot pulls two, two minutes and 11 seconds back. And, I mean, Woot pulls, he was one of the best climbers in the world just a few years ago. You know, and then Chris Froome is over five minutes back. So right there, I mean, I think we just have to come to terms with it. it it's hard. It like plays tricks on your brain because you think like, well, no, Woot Poles is like, he's, he's better than these, these bums. But, you know, I think we just have to realize that like Joao Meda is one of the best GC riders in the world now. I think these guys are 
you know, the new generations here and they're not going anywhere. And one kind of for the Valverde stands out there, one really bad sign is he was dropped even before Chris Froome today. He looked absolutely awful, which makes sense because he's, I think he's 41 years old. Uh, but I think there was this belief that, well, the COVID season was weird. Uh, it, it helped guys who are younger, who could train harder, because once you get older, you don't like to train. I don't totally agree with that. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but that was like the conventional wisdom. Uh, it's looking like that's not, it's not going anywhere. I mean, Vincenzo Nibali himself said he had one of his best Giro ever, Giro d'Italia's ever, performance-wise, just by objective numbers. And he got smoked. He got like sixth. And he got dropped every mountain stage. And he's saying he was riding those climbs faster than he was riding when he was winning. So... I don't think that trend is going anywhere, and I think we just need to we need to uh, accept the fact that these younger guys are just going to be the stars from now on. And you know, Ad, I mean, I guess Adam Yates technically isn't that young, but he, he's you know 28. That's still pretty young. He's in the prime of his career, so uh, and, and he's almost been like rehabilitated back to this level. But I, unfortunately, a huge Nibali fan. I don't think we're going to see him at the front on any of these big climbs anymore. Same with Froome, same with Woot Poles. Uh, one other thing from the Tour de Var is Teo Gegenhart was he was in the breakaway with, uh, he was in the breakaway that was kind of like raiding the overall, threatening to win. When uh, He was there when Gianluca Brambilia attacked to get away solo and go on to win the stage and then win the whole race. He just straight up got dropped. He couldn't stay with him. Which I, you know, I wouldn't push the panic button just yet, but he, if you, if you're going to be leading a team of that caliber, probably shouldn't be happening. It's pretty early in the year. But if we look at Teo's, you know, let's look at Teo's resume. He's really just shown us, you know, he's had one big result winning that Giro d'Italia. The concerning thing to me is if we look at that Giro, there was a lot off days. There was just like a time trial where he just like, Almost didn't even try because he thought he was just going for stage wins. And, you know, it was kind of a weaker field, you know, a younger, less experienced field. And he rode himself back into contention. He's not going to be able to do that at the tour. That's for sure. So, yeah, that's not a great sign. And an even worse sign for Ineos is Garrett Thomas was not nearly as good as Teo Gegenhart. I mean, Teo Gegenhart didn't look great. But he looked like the best option Ineos is going to have. I mean, except for Adam Yates. I don't think Adam Yates is going to the Tour de France, though. I think they said they're sending him to the Giro or the Vuelta, one of those races. So, uh, yeah, I, it's, it's not clear to me what it, things don't look good there. I, Garrett Thomas has had missing climbing form for like a year and a half now, and the Tour de Var did nothing to clear that up. He looked quite bad. Every time the race went uphill. So not good if they're expecting him to win win the tour for them or lead them at the tour. But that kind of leads us into this this question. Uh, So I got an email this morning from a reader, Dave in British Columbia, who asked, uh, you know, subject to the email is potential, potential new INEA super team question mark. So I won't read the question verbatim, but the the general message is given how strong Ghana, Rowan Dennis is, um, Mikhail Kliukowski, does Sky just 
does Ineos just have the recipe here for to do what they did back in their heyday and just put these guys on the front of the tour and just grind everyone down while um, and I'm, I'm quoting the uh, the email here while Garrett Thomas and Teo Gegenhart sit on for victory. You know, am I wrong in thinking this? I would be curious to know your thoughts. It's a good question. Um, and it's honestly something I have thought a lot about myself in the past few days. They certainly have the ingredients here. The uh, Dave is right in one thing. I mean, he's not, he's not hallucinating in this. They, they certainly have the ability with Rowan Dennis, Filippo Ghana, and Mikhail Kiyokoski to absolutely destroy a Tour de France field. I mean, you saw Rowan Dennis. I mean, it was both Rowan Dennis and Ghana at the Giro just, just ripping up these mountain passes. I mean, Rowan Dennis, I think, set the fastest time ever up the Stelvio, which is like a famous, famous, famous climb in cycling. And Rowan Dennis the fastest time ever up it. So the ability's there. I, I wouldn't push back on, on that argument at all. Um, definitely, they're, they're, they probably have the, they have the strongest team in professional cycling when it comes to Grand Tours. Here's where it all falls apart for me, though. Garrett Thomas and Teo Gegenhardt sitting on for victory. If you really think about that, if we, if we stress test that theory, I don't think, I think Teo Gegenhardt could probably sit on a train like that. But Teo Gegenhardt and Garrett Thomas are not better climbers than Primoz Roglic or Tadej Pogacar. So if you're, if you're grinding the race down for those, for let's say Oteg and Gegenhardt, you're helping uh, Roglic and Pogacar. Their teams don't have to control the race. They can sit on you and then out-sprint you at the top. You would just be giving them an armchair ride, basically, to the Tour de France win. And the only reason this has worked in the past, like I don't see this talked about enough, you have to have the strongest combined time trialist and climber. Because if you're going to ride that way, you know, maybe in the early Froome years, he would attack like 4K out and just absolutely destroy people. He'd put like minutes into people by the summit. But, you know, by the late, let's say the late stage Froome wins, he wasn't doing that. They were just riding that way and he would maybe pick up a second or two, a time bonus win, or he would just limit his losses at the top of the climb. And where he would extend, build and extend his lead was the time trials. So the key to this is you have to be an elite a world-class time trialist. If you're not, you can't ride this way. I mean, because we saw the, the perfect example of this is Primoz Roglic at the 2020 Tour de France. His Jumbo team controlled the race from day one to day 21. And, you know, it limited his ability to take time. You could also argue it limited his ability to lose time. Tadej Pogacar put, you know, minimal time into him. There was one stage that was stage eight or stage seven where Pogachar jumped away and he didn't respond. He probably should have responded. But then they went into the time trial and they just got smoked. They got absolutely smoked. And so if you're going to ride that way, you, that you, you have to be winning the time trials or at least winning them amongst the GC riders. Uh, Teo Gegenhardt's not going to do that. So he, he's out right there. Garrett Thomas could. I mean, he, he was pretty good in the time trials last year. He got I think fourth at the world championships. He's certainly a very good time trialist. My concern is he's not, he's probably not as good as Tadej Pogacar, that's for sure. And probably not as good as maybe equal with Primus Roglic. But he's just not a climber anymore. He can't climb anymore. So it's like a huge issue. Like if you're going to set a pace that high, you're probably going to drop Garrett Thomas. Like I don't know if he could hang with those guys anymore. And let's say, let's say he can. 
Tade Pogachar is and maybe even Primoz Roglic are better climbers than he was in his prime. So if you set a hard pace for him, you know, let's just cast our minds back to like, you know, go back to the mid 2010s and you have Ineos just lining out the front of the field, setting a hard pace, dropping everyone. You know, you're just going to be setting Garrett Thomas up to get attacked because you, however hard you're going, Tade Pogachar, Primus Roglic, you know, and even guys like Jai Henley can, can attack off of that because they are stronger than your leader. If you're going so hard that they can't attack, you've dropped Garrett Thomas. So this was like a very Froome specific, it frustrated me when it was happening. Um, you know, I had like a neighbor, like a professional runner neighbor who, that's like the best question of the last few years that he didn't even realize where he's like, couldn't you just sit on that? Couldn't you just sit on Ineos and then you're getting the same benefit as them? It's like, yes, absolutely. That's exactly right. But the, the problem was no one, Chris Froome was better than everybody. So that's the only reason it worked. You know, this strategy only works if you're just flat out the best rider, strongest rider in the race, you know, and we saw that perfectly. 2020 tour is the perfect example of how it doesn't work if that's not the case. Yumbo basically rode Tade Pogachar to victory. Oops. And that's what would happen if Ineos tried to do this. You know, if they, if they're trying to win the Tour de France, they've got it. It's got to be maximum chaos, you know, kind of like the Giro was. So they would have to, it's, you know, that's easier said than done. The, the tour is almost never maximum chaos. It's such a big race that everyone brings such strong teams there. It's really hard to sow chaos. Um, the pod, or even top 10 finishes are so, so valuable that guys won't take risks who are like in seventh place. So it's just, a, it's a much more controlled race. But if they, let's say they want to do it, they'd have to, you know, get Garrett Thomas up the road probably. They'd have to get Teo Gagenhardt up the road for sure. And it would just, they just wouldn't be able to ride like that. So that would be my, you know, that's my, my long answer. But the short answer is they just don't have, you know, they don't have a sharp enough tip to their spear. They can't finish it off, even if they're, if they are able to ride that way. And that was such a key component of the super team. It really all, it really came down to, you know, Chris Froome, but, you know, I guess after Chris Froome, Garrett Thomas won a tour and Egan Bernal. I, let's set that Egan Bernal win aside in 2018 or 2019 because the team is actually quite bad then. Um, and, and they've not been strong, you know, for, the, for a couple of years until this year. They look great. So that Garrett Thomas win, you know, he was, he was, Chris, he was good. When Garrett Thomas won that Tour de France, he was the best climber in that race. He's also the best time trialist amongst the GC riders. So that strategy worked. But they just, I just don't think they have. And, you know, Richard Carapaz, you know, could be a likely candidate, but he just doesn't have the time trialing ability. He would get blown out. If, you know, I guess we're going to see it. Apparently, he's going to the tour this year. Carapaz is going to get blown out in those time trials. And the only way he can win the tour is he's really going to have, he can't wait for the final climb and sit on his team. He, he's going to have to attack a long ways out and just maximum chaos strategy. Um, and I just, I just don't think that's possible to her. And not that it's impossible. It's not likely. Uh, and also another hitch in this plan is uh, Ineos released 12 potential riders that they're going to send to the Tour de France. Philippe Ogana was not amongst that list. So he likely won't even be at the race. 
which I'm not sure why. Maybe they think that with him and Dennis, that's not enough climbers, but those guys are pretty good at climbing. And I mean, probably better than a lot of the other guys on the team. I don't know if they just worry because there's a time trial early, like stage four, if Ghana would just get the yellow jersey and then they'd have to deal with the yellow jersey. Um, that would be my best guess. They'd just be stuck with this jersey for, for a, you know, a week, a week and a half. Maybe that maybe he could win the I mean, it's not crazy. If I if I was running the team, I just and I wanted to maximize winning the tour, that you're honestly your best shot is with Filippo Ghana. Just build up massive leads in the time trials and just see if you can defend. Because then your your super strong team helps you. It can kind of nurse Ghana over these mountain passes. Uh and that would that would be the way I think to maximize the team strength. It's, they're not going to do that. That's a it's it's insane. It's like no one. It would be too crazy because you'd be sidelining Garrett Thomas and Teo Gegenhardt and Richard Carapaz. I think you have to let those guys fail. Like those guys have at least earned failing to win the Tour de France. So um, just be, because of you would get fired if that didn't work, and you would alienate a lot of the stars in the team and. You would look like a total idiot, most likely. That's not going to happen. But uh, I would guess that's why they're not taking him. They just don't want to deal with him getting the jersey and then kind of this awkward leadership, this like premature leadership squabble. So upcoming this weekend is, you know, uh, UA Tour will wrap up, I think, on, sat- on Saturday. So there's that summit finish on Thursday. I think Pogachar is going to probably win that again. I guess in theory he could he could lose the race. Something could happen on these sprint stages. So, but they happen so early. Unless you're on the East Coast or in Europe, it's going to be hard to watch it live. But the exciting thing about the probably the bigger races this weekend. I mean, not probably. Certainly the bigger races this weekend are Amlut Het Nusblad on Saturday, and Kern Brussels Kern on Sunday. Amlut is kind of a mini Tour of Flanders. Kern Brussels Kern is flatter. It's more of uh, uh, it, it's it's like 50-50, maybe 60-40 sprint finish. So faster, less less one-day classic riders tend to win that. But in the past, I mean, the last couple of years, especially one-day classics riders have won it with like either two two-man breakaways or solo. So it can be it can be really exciting. Both of those races are worth t- tuning into. Um, I would say for Omloop. I mean, Jasper Stuyven is, I think, the, he's the defending champion. He's always quite good at this race. It can be a little, it's kind of a funny race because it's, it's so, such good preparation for the Tour of Flanders. But if you win it, I don't think, I, I think this is right. I don't think anyone's ever won Omloop and the Tour of Flanders in the same year. So if you win it, you're almost ruining, it's like a signal that you've screwed up. You've ruined uh, your chances to win bigger races in like a month, a month and a half, because you've peaked too soon. So it's this funny balance between, you know, when Jasper won it last year, it actually ended up being a great result because they canceled the rest of the spring classics. So Stoyven won Amloop. Kasper Askren, who's a classics rider, a great he won it solo, a great example of a non-classics rider winning Kern Brussels Kern. And then those are the only spring classics that happened for like eight months. So. Those were great victories for those guys, but also if if COVID hadn't happened, for the, th- those are good like stepping stones. So if you think maybe you could win a big classic or be on the podium in a year or two, these are really good races 
you know, to try to win. Uh, I think the big, probably the biggest, I mean, the, I think the, the big riders to watch are like Stuyven's always very good in these early races, possibly too good. Um, I, I love to see how Casper Askren does. I think he could possibly take a step up this year and compete for the win at like Paris Roubaix, which I guess if I think that, I shouldn't want him to do well at this race. Um, Matt, I mean, Matt's Pedersen could in theory win both of these. He's not, he's normally like a slow starter, which is good. It's not, that's not a negative comment. He, he peaks usually for like Tour Flanders and Paris Roubaix in late March and April. Um, DeMar, it will be interesting to see how he does. He could win Kern Brussels Kern. Uh, Soren Craig Anderson, he won two stages of the Tour de France last year. He's kind of like a budding classics rider. So this, these would actually be great stages for him to try to win. They're great races. Christoph, he's, he's finished on the podium three times at Kern Brussels Kern in the past. I could see him winning it. I, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, and then like Yves Lampere from Dequin and Quickstep, he's like a great third, fourth, fifth option for them who could try to take an, op- you know, take an early season opportunity to get a win in before he's working for other people at Tour Flanders and Paris-Roubaix. But all of this is just... Uh, actually, no, one thing. Uh, Philippe Gilbert. Actually, keep an eye on him at Omloop because if he wants to win... Milan San Remo is less than a month away. So, and he needs to win San Remo to complete the monument sweep, which is really hard. Probably an underrated uh, challenge. And pro cycling, everyone talks about this Euro Tour double. But 10 people have done that. Only three people have ever done the monument sweep. All Belgium, actually. So, if uh, Gilbert does it, he'll be the fourth person ever and fourth Belgian. The riders to do it are Eddie Merckx, of course, because why not? Rick Van Loon, Roger Devlamic. So, um, I mean, not especially with Merckx and Devlamic, not a surprise. Those guys were two of the best of all time. I wrote a kind of an in-depth newsletter about this last week. You can find it at beyondthepeloton.substack.com. It kind of dives into like who, which current writers could could do this. I mean, Gilbert's the close. I mean, Gilbert's probably the closest anyone will be in a, for a long, long time. So it would be pretty cool if he won. Milan San Remo. He has to win Milan San Remo. It's the last monument that he hasn't won. Uh, he hasn't looked great, but if he shows up, I mean, he so if he wants to do this, he's got to show up at really good in really good fitness this weekend. So keep an eye on that. But the big story here is so Matthew Vanderpool was at the UAE Tour, wins the first stage, looks fantastic, looks great, and but then he has a team, someone on. His team staff member test positive for COVID like later that day, that night. Uh, so the whole team gets sent into self-isolation. They can't race the next day. Uh, they then do some contact, contact tracing, find out that like only two or three riders came into direct contact with his team staff. I'm not sure if I believe that, by the way. Uh, so the rest of the team, few, like, so three, I think three guys are in quarantine in the UAE right now. And so like the, the five remaining riders. No, maybe there's only seven riders. So four remaining riders flew back uh, to Europe like later that day. But they, they, they got kicked out of the race. They couldn't start the race because the race was worried they're going to spread COVID. So now it's just kind of this odd thing where it's like, well, it wasn't safe enough for them to race, but they could fly. And I assume they flew commercial because that's, that's an expensive flight for just a few people. But 
it is against UCI regulations. You're not supposed to be allowed to start a race after you've left a race and the old race is still running. So in theory, he shouldn't be able to race on Saturday. But it's looking like there's going to be an exception made and he will race at Omloop. So this is like a really kind of out of left field. No one would have guessed that Matthew Vanderpool, who was supposed to be in the Middle East racing all weekend this weekend, would then come back to Europe to race Omloop and Kern Brussels Kern. Um, if he races Omloop, he's going to win it. I mean, he's so fit right now. Which, if we go back to our original comment about this race, it signaled that he's too fit. I mean, he would be, I think he would become the first person if he won Omloop and Flanders to win it in the same year. So he, he looks like he just finished a cyclocross season and is in fantastic shape, you know, for better or worse. And Woot Van Aert, who he beat at Cyclocross Worlds, is off doing like 120 mile training rides with like 12,000 feet of elevation gain. So he's kind of trying to like reshape his body into more of a road racing, into more road racing condition. But Vanderpool's just, just going straight through. He's just taking this like explosive power that he built up and cross and is now just running through the road season. So I actually think that's a mistake. I don't think if he races on Saturday, I'm pretty sure he will win. But I don't think that bodes well for later in the classic season. And I know everyone always thinks, everyone just tells me like he's just better than everyone. He can, he can get away with it. And he might be able to, but I have to think there's some logic still in the cycling universe that it will catch up to him at some point. So we'll see. But if he races on loop, it, it's going to be very exciting. I'm not quite sure how that, if I love the logic of it's not safe for you to race, but you can fly back to Europe the same day to do another race. That seems insane. But, you know, just for fun's sake, let's hope, let's hope it works out and he gets to race. Uh, and one more thing. He, like, I actually didn't see this covered anywhere, but I dove into it. He didn't win a single sprint finish last year. He, he was a great sprinter in 2019, 2018, 2019, like probably one of the best in the world. Amazing. He would win out of a lot of, like a lot of bunch sprints. Last year, he wins zero. All his wins were just, it was like two, two riders or less or solo. I mean, I guess that's the same thing. But, and then he, the first, his first win of 2021 is a bunch sprint. Not, not a huge bunch, but like 19, 19, 17 riders. That's a significant amount. So that's interesting. It's something to keep an eye on if his sprinting ability is coming back to him after being gone for a season. All right. Well, that's it for this week. And thanks for listening. Uh, I guess rate and re- if you like the podcast, I mean, recommend it to a friend, please, please. It's the best thing you can do. But also rate and view it if you like it on iTunes or wherever you're listening. All right. Bye and enjoy the race. And we'll, we'll get back to a more weekly schedule next week.